Well, it's good to be able to hear the Word of God, and so that is a privilege that is ours, even though we are not together physically in this church building, but gathered in various homes. It is a privilege to hear the Word of God. And let's now seek God again in prayer, asking for His Holy Spirit's help for us during this time of worship. Our God and our Father, we thank you again for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we who are truly united to him by faith do not need to dread or fear the day of judgment. We thank you, our God, that our sins have been atoned for by your Son in his death on the cross. We thank you that you have given the Holy Spirit to your people and to your church, and we pray that you would pour him out onto us during this time of worship as we continue to worship you by hearing your word proclaimed. So come by your spirit and feed us with your word and save sinners, encourage your people, and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We'll turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Micah. The book of Micah in the Old Testament, found just after the book of Jonah. If you look towards the end of the Old Testament, you should be able to find this small book called Micah. I would like to read just a few verses from Micah chapter 1, two verses actually, and then some verses from chapter 7, and then we will consider this book called Micah. So Micah chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The word of Jehovah that came to Micah, the Morashtite, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, you peoples, all of you. Hearken, O earth, and all that therein is, and let the Lord Jehovah be witnessed against you, the Lord from his holy temple. And now turn to Micah chapter 7, and I shall begin reading at verse 18. Micah 7, verse 18. Who is a God like unto you that pardons iniquity and passes over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retains not his anger forever because he delights in loving kindness. He will again have compassion upon us He will tread our iniquities underfoot, and you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You will perform the truth to Jacob and the loving kindness to Abraham, which you have sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. And so as we consider this book, Micah, I would like, by way of introduction, simply to say a few things. First of all, the author of this book. It was, as you've seen, 
the prophet Micah. We know very little about this man, although we are told the name of his hometown in chapter 1 and verse 1, a village located some 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. We also know that his name means, who is like Jehovah? Who is like Jehovah? And we shall see this is significant, the name that he has. So that's the author of the book. Secondly, by way of introduction, the time in which Micah lived. In chapter 1, verse 1, we're told that Micah lived in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, who were kings of Judah. This does not mean that Micah lived from the beginning of Jotham's reign to the end of Hezekiah's reign. It simply means that he prophesied during the reign of these three kings. And therefore, we can estimate that Micah probably prophesied for about 30 or 35 years, about 700 years prior to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then thirdly, by way of introduction, the message which Micah proclaimed. We will look at that in detail, but I would like you first to consider that in chapter 1, verse 1, we read, the word of Jehovah that came to Micah. And this is instructing us that Micah did not proclaim his own opinions. He did not proclaim his own judgments to the people of his day. During the course of about 35 years, Micah faithfully proclaimed the word of Jehovah. And therefore, since it was the word of Jehovah, it is the word of Jehovah, we can learn from this infallible word of the living God today. So that's the brief introduction to this little book called Micah. And now I would like you to learn three main things from this book. First of all, the declaration of the sins of the people. Secondly, the declaration of the judgments of Jehovah. And thirdly, the declaration of the grace of Jehovah. Those are our three main heads tonight for consideration. So first of all, the declaration of the sins of the people. Micah began his preaching by addressing all the inhabitants of the earth. We see that in chapter 1 and verse 2. His message was not restricted to the Jews. He called upon all the people of the earth to pay attention to the word of Jehovah. And therefore, his message is relevant for us today. In his preaching, however, Micah zeroed in upon the people of Israel, Samaria, Judah, and Jerusalem. You see that in verse 5 of chapter 1. Micah's declaration of the sins of the inhabitants of Israel, Judah, and their capital cities, Samaria and Jerusalem, did not portray the people of his day in an attractive light. The detailed catalog of their sins is extensive. They are hideous. They are even shocking. And I would like you to note with me 
a sampling of Micah's description of some of their sins, remembering that this is what Micah had to do as a prophet in that day. He declared the sins of the people. The people were guilty, Micah declared, of rebellion and illegitimate worship in high places, which would have included worship of graven images and sacrifices on the altars of Baal. You see that in verse 5 of chapter 1. Their idolatry included various forms of sexual immorality, verse 7 of chapter 1. And despite the proclamations of faithful and godly prophets, Like Micah, the people's lives were characterized by stubborn impenitence. Verse 9 of chapter 1. Moving on to chapter 2. Devising iniquity occupied their thoughts at night, even when they laid on their beds to sleep. Instead of sleeping, they had their minds churning with how they could enact evil on the following day. And when they arose in the morning, they practiced the evil which they had planned. We see that in verse 1 of chapter 2. All, with very few exceptions, had hearts full of selfishness, covetousness, so that they would steal the property of others, even using force if necessary. Verse 2 of chapter 2. And although their sins were plain and numerous, the people of Israel and Judah continued to be religious people. They did not want faithful preaching such as Micah gave to them, but they were a very religious people. But they indulged and approved false prophets and their lying words. And you see that in verse 11 of chapter 2. But then moving on to chapter 3, again, Micah proclaiming, declaring the sins of the people. The people, including their rulers, were ignorant of justice. Verse 1 of chapter 3, they hated anything good and loved that which was evil. Verse 2, the rulers of the people were not only ignorant of justice, they abhorred and perverted justice, and did not care for the lives of others, but destroyed anyone who stood in their ways. Verse 9 and verse 10 of chapter 3. The priests and prophets were greedy and avaricious, and brazenly proclaimed that Jehovah was with them, and that no evil would come upon them. Verse 11 of chapter 3. Contrary to the preaching, the declarations of Micah. Going now to chapter 5. The people did not seek Jehovah and his word from godly prophets, but instead sought after soothsayers and countenanced witchcraft in their midst. Verse 12 of chapter 5. And although the people repeatedly professed to be followers, worshipers, lovers of Jehovah, Micah declared that God knew that in fact they were weary of Jehovah. Indeed, look at chapter 6 and verse 3. The Lord asked the people through the prophet Micah, the Lord speaking to them, 
What have I done unto you? And wherein have I wearied you? Verse 3 of chapter 6. You see, Jehovah's laws, Jehovah's word, Jehovah's worship had become tedious and boring and burdensome to these people who were very religious, but not at all really following the Lord Jehovah and his word. They had forgotten and were ungrateful for God's past deliverance and redemption from their enslavement in Egypt. We see that in chapter 6 and verse 4. They had forgotten and were ungrateful that God had delivered them many other times from many enemies. Verse 5 of chapter 6. Violence, lying, deceit were as common with the rich as with the poor. Verse 12 of chapter 6, the people were following in the footsteps of two of the most wicked kings in Israel's history, Omri and Ahab. Verse 16 of chapter 6. Alas, Micah's inventory of the sins of the people is not finished. In chapter 7, verse 2, bloodshed and murder were commonplace. Asking for and taking bribes was so common that it was woven into the very fabric of life in Israel and Judah. Verse 3 of chapter 7, treachery was even to be found where it should never have been seen in homes and in families. Children dishonored their parents and deceit, hatred, and betrayal was rife within families in Israel and Judah. Verse 6 of chapter 7. This was Micah's faithful and necessary declaration of the sins of the people in his day, proclaiming it to them. And notice from Micah's preaching how many of God's Ten Commandments were being transgressed by the people in his day. Just consider for a moment just a few of God's Ten Commandments. And with this catalog, this inventory of the sins of the people of Judah and Israel, you will see how they were breaking really all ten of God's commandments. First of all, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment, you shall not make unto you a graven image. You shall not bow down yourself unto them. But that's what they were doing continually. You shall not take the name of Jehovah your God in vain, but that they did daily as well, saying they knew the Lord. They were following him, but in truth they were living ungodly lives. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. When you study Micah, you realize they were not keeping the Sabbath day holy. They were not honoring father and mother. They were killing, murdering. They were committing adultery. They were stealing. They were lying. They were covetous. 
All ten of God's commandments were violated repeatedly and extensively throughout all the land of Israel and Judah. And the omniscient Lord, Jehovah, as supreme judge, exposed the manifold and grievous sins of his covenant people through his servant and preacher, Micah. But now, secondly, after the declaration of the sins of the people, let's notice the declaration of the judgments of Jehovah. Because of the sins of the people, Micah also declared the righteous judgments which Jehovah would bring upon the people and none would be exempt Micah declared that the Lord would tread down the people in judgment. Chapter 1, verse 3. The Lord would make Samaria, the capital city of Israel, as rubble. Verse 6 of chapter 1. The Lord would destroy all their idols in that city, crushing and burning them with fire. Verse 7 of chapter 1, the Lord would bring evil upon the people in order to humble them. Chapter 2, verse 3, in severe and just judgment, Jehovah declared through Micah that he would not answer their prayers. Verse 4 of chapter 3, the Lord declared that he would destroy Jerusalem as well, and like Samaria to the north, it too would become a heap of rubble. Verse 12 of chapter 3, the people of Jerusalem would have no grounds for being smug and self-righteous as they learned of Samaria's being destroyed into rubble. Such destruction, however, Micah reveals in his preaching, would not end the judgment of God upon the people. Micah declared that Jehovah would bring the people into captivity into Babylon, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, and that no king and no counselor would be able to deliver them from this fate. Because of their sins, the Lord would also bring temporal judgments upon their land, making it desolate so that they would labor in their fields, but they would never reap the fruit of their labors. Chapter 6, verses 13 to 15. Micah found no delight in declaring these judgments of Jehovah to the people. In fact, he grieved he grieved because of the sins of the people amongst whom he dwelt. He wept bitterly for them. He poured out his heart's lamentation for them unto the Lord. We see that in verse 8 of chapter 1. And as a little side lesson here, brethren, is this not what we as Christians should be doing as we look upon our nation and upon our world and we see the sins that are manifold in our own country? 
Should we not be asking God to indeed raise up preachers to proclaim the reality of their sins, to proclaim God's righteous judgment? But through it all, we as a people of God should be like Micah, not taking delight in those sobering realities, but we should be grieved because of the sins of our country and world. We should weep bitterly for our fellow citizens. We should pour out our hearts' lamentation to God for them. Micah was faithful to his calling as a prophet, even as Jehovah himself was faithful to his word which he had revealed to Moses many centuries before, as recorded in Deuteronomy 28. I'll read verses 15 and 16. You don't need to turn there. But in Deuteronomy 28, verse 15, we read this. God speaking, But it shall come to pass, if you will not hearken unto the voice of Jehovah your God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you this day, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed you shall be in the city, and cursed you shall be in the field. End quote. You see, Jehovah was faithful to his word. And so was his servant Micah. And through these difficult and faithful declarations of God's judgments, Micah wanted all of the people to understand, intellectually but also experientially, that although these judgments of Jehovah would be sweeping in their scope, and would be fearful and painful in their execution. They were also thoroughly righteous judgments and absolutely necessary divine judgments, for God will be faithful to his word in its promises and in its threatenings. And such judgments of God when rightly understood and embraced as they were by Micah the prophet, such judgments of God are then also merciful judgments for they humble, proud sinners and with the blessing of God bring such in repentance to the living God. So that is the declaration of the judgment of God. But now thirdly, the declaration of the grace of Jehovah. The declaration of the people's sins was given by Micah. The declaration of the judgments of God were given by Micah. And now thirdly, the declaration of the grace of Jehovah. Turn in your Bibles there to Micah 7. And verse 18. And I would like to read that verse once again. Micah 7 and verse 18. Who is a God like unto you that pardons iniquity and passes over the transgression of the remnant 
of his heritage. He retains not his anger forever because he delights in loving kindness. Notice here with me, first of all, the incomparable uniqueness of Jehovah's mercy. We see it there in verse 18. The incomparable uniqueness of Jehovah's mercy. As we've already observed, Micah faithfully declared the sins of the people, the judgments of God. As a godly man, Micah patiently embraced God's judgments because he was in solidarity with his countrymen. He, too, was a sinner. He says that himself in verse 9 of chapter 7. And yet, throughout Micah's preaching of sin and judgment, in this book called Micah, there were brief bursts of light, hope, and the grace of Jehovah. Micah never despaired. He was sobered. He sorrowed. But he never despaired. He understood that he must wait patiently for God's salvation and deliverance. See that in verses 7 and 9 of chapter 7. He must persevere through times of difficulty and judgment. And brethren, we should follow in the footsteps of Micah when we consider the virus that has enveloped the whole world. When we see this as God's judgment upon our nation, upon the peoples around us, we must not despair, but we must wait patiently for God's salvation and deliverance. We must persevere through times of difficulty and judgment as Micah did. But now in chapter 7, verse 18, at the conclusion of Micah's prophecy, Micah declared the incomparable uniqueness of Jehovah's gracious mercy shown to undeserving sinners. This is not a burst of brief light, revelatory light. In verse 18, we have a steady, brilliant beam of glorious, revelatory light coming down from God in heaven to the earth through the prophet's words, showing us the gracious character and works of the one true living God, Jehovah. Micah asked a rhetorical question in verse 18 of chapter 7, which we've just read, a question which embodied the very name of the prophet. Who is a God like unto you? Remember the name Micah means who is like Yah, that is, who is like Jehovah. By his name and by his words, Micah declares that there is none like unto the Lord Jehovah, the living God. He is unique. He is unsurpassed in all of his ways of grace and mercy. And specifically, Micah declares here in verse 18, Jehovah pardons iniquity. 
Just think of all that we've observed in this book of Micah from chapter 1 into chapter 7. All of the numerous sins of the people of Israel in Judah. All of the sins of the earth. As we think of all that here, God through Micah is revealing God himself that he pardons iniquity. Well, what does that mean? The perverted wrongdoings of the sinner, as well as his guilt and the punishment which he deserves, is, according to these words, lifted up and carried away by Jehovah. When anyone, when any sinner, turns from his iniquities and trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for pardon. When that happens, Jehovah lifts up all of those perversions, all of that wrongdoing and guilt, and carries it away into oblivion. But notice also in verse 18, Jehovah, Micah tells us, passes over transgression. The Lord's people... And note that they are called the remnant of his heritage in verse 18 of chapter 7. That's what Micah says. He's speaking of the Lord's people. The Lord's people frequently fracture their covenantal relationship with Jehovah by breaking his commandments. And when they willfully transgress God's laws... And sadly, God's people do this at times. When they willfully transgress God's laws, they also in that very occasion reject, at least for a moment, at least for a time, they reject God's authority over them. But astonishingly, and it is astonishing, Micah declares, whenever Such a transgressor returns to Jehovah, confessing his willful violation of Jehovah's laws, turning away from his transgressions. Jehovah, because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, poured out in death on the cross of Calvary, Jehovah passes over those rebellious transgressions as though they did not exist. But thirdly, notice in verse 18, Jehovah delights in loving kindness. Although the sins of God's people righteously anger him, He does not, Micah tells us, he does not retain or hold on to his anger forever. Verse 18. Why? Why will God not hold on to his anger forever? Well, the answer that God gives through Micah the prophet is astounding. He will not retain his anger forever because God delights in manifesting his steadfast love to his erring, sinning people. He delights in pouring out his never-failing love, his faithful mercy 
kindness and goodness to his believing and repenting people. It is indeed for believing and repenting people. It is for anyone who does turn away from his or her sins, turn to God through Jesus Christ the Lord. When that confession of sin is brought up to God through Christ, here Micah's words stand true because they are God's words. God delights in loving kindness. And Jehovah demonstrated this loving kindness for the people of Israel of Micah's day by having provided a sacrificial system which pointed forward to that final and perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who obeyed all of God's laws throughout his entire life, who then took upon himself all of the sins of all of his people from all of the ages, who then became the propitiatory sacrifice for their sins, dying on the cross of bloody death, absorbing in himself like a blotter all of the righteous wrath of God due to each of his believing people. And Jesus Christ made a full atonement for all of their sins. And Christ's resurrection from the dead is proof positive that God indeed accepted Christ's sacrificial death on the cross in the place of any and all sinners who trust in Christ alone for pardon. Because of the life and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the unique God-man, Jehovah truly delights in showering his steadfast love upon those who are sinners, those who are iniquitous, those who deserve judgment. So there we see the incomparable uniqueness of Jehovah's mercy. But now look at verse 19 of chapter 7. Here we see the incomparable faithfulness of Jehovah's mercy. The incomparable faithfulness of Jehovah's mercy. Follow as I read verse 19 of chapter 7 again. He will again have compassion upon us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot, and you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Jehovah, we're told, first of all, by Micah, here in this verse, Jehovah will again have compassion upon us. The word compassion refers to the tender mercies which a stronger covenant partner, in this case Jehovah, feels toward a helpless partner, in this case the believing sinner. God's people can be sadly unfaithful to God and his word. Christians do sin daily. Christians at times even make a mess of their lives by their sins and folly. Yet Micah declares, God will again have compassion on them. Again. 
how much is bound up in that little English word again. God will again have compassion upon them. You as a believer may know very well in your own mind and heart how many times you have in this past week sinned again and again and again. And sometimes in areas where you have promised before God, Lord, helping me, I will not go down that pathway of sin in my heart again. And yet you failed and sinned again and again. Well, you see, here's the word for you, the believer. Jehovah will again have compassion upon you. When you turn back to him, confessing your sins again, turning away from them, repenting of them, trusting in Christ Jesus alone, not yourself, but in Christ and his blood. When you do that, God will again have compassion upon you. Jehovah's compassion for his sinning, erring people never fails. It never ceases. In gracious, faithful mercy, he does not give up on you, the believer. He does not cast you off. But notice in verse 19, Micah tells us, Jehovah, secondly, will tread our iniquities underfoot. You see that there in verse 19. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will overcome our iniquities. He will subdue them. That is what Micah means by the word that he uses here. He will bring into subjection the Christian's numerous iniquities. And the foot, I believe, Micah is referring to is not a human foot. He's referring, as it were, to God's foot. This is an anthropomorphism, a big word that simply means that we're ascribing to God some physical anatomy, a foot. The foot, God does not literally have a physical foot, but the foot of the Almighty will tread down and crush all of the Christian's sins. And isn't that a wonderful truth to contemplate? The foot of Almighty God will tread down and crush all of the Christian's sins. Yes, it hasn't happened instantaneously in your life or mine, but still it has happened to a large degree in many areas of sin in your life and mine, and it will one day be fully accomplished by God Almighty. But think for a moment. What hope does an ant have when the foot of a man comes down upon it on a concrete sidewalk? What hope does that little ant have when the foot of a man comes down upon it? That's the way you need to think. What can your sin do when the foot of Almighty God comes crushing down upon your sin? There are no iniquities of any kind. No matter how deeply rooted in your heart and life, no matter how long-standing their patterns may be in your heart and life, 
There are no iniquities of any kind which cannot be trampled down and conquered by the gracious power of Almighty God. And you need to think of that and remember that in your battle with your remaining sin. You need to plead this very truth to God in prayer, asking him to do that indeed for you in your life. But notice, thirdly, not only will Jehovah again have compassion on us, Jehovah will tread our iniquities underfoot. Thirdly, Jehovah will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. The prophet speaks of a physical act casting our sins into the sea with reference to a spiritual reality. For, of course, our sins are not a physical thing which can be physically cast into the sea. This is a metaphor. This is a picture which Micah used in order to emphasize the fact that when Jehovah forgives a sinner, all of his or her sins are indeed cast into the depths of the sea. When Jehovah forgives, he does so through the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And when any sinner, any sinner, anywhere, no matter how rotten your sins have been, no matter how extensive they have been, when you turn to the Lord God Jehovah through Jesus Christ, and you take even these words from Micah 7.19, and you bring them to him in prayer and say, this is what you said you will do. Do that even for me. Jehovah then himself takes our sins, removes them from us, and heaves them, hurls them. That's the whole idea of the Hebrew language. It's not that he just kind of slightly tosses them to the right into the sea. He takes them and he hurls them into the depths of the sea. And all of our sins are then sunk into the depths of the sea, never to be seen again, out of God's omniscient sight, as it were, never to be recovered, never to be remembered again by our almighty and omniscient God. So those are Micah's wonderful declarations of the grace of Jehovah. So we've seen Micah's declaration of the sins of the people, his declaration of the judgments of Jehovah, his declaration of the grace of Jehovah. And now I have just a couple of lessons for us as we continue here this evening. First of all, the first lesson, it is always a mercy from God when his word exposes our sins, convicts us of them, and then even pronounces God's judgment upon us because of our sin. It is always a mercy from God when this happens. It may not sound like a mercy from God. This may not, when it happens, feel like a mercy from God. But such exposure and conviction of sin by God the Spirit with God's holy word 
such exposure and conviction of sin is truly a mercy from God. Many, if not all of our sins, as the people of God, are identical to the sins of the people of Israel and Judah. If not an actual deed, for by God's mercy we have not committed many of those deeds that they committed, but certainly many of those sins of Israel and Judah we have committed in our hearts, in our minds. And lest we think that we and the people of our land are not as bad as the people of Micah's day, all we need to do again is pause and think and examine our hearts and the lives of the people of our nation in the light of God's holy Ten Commandments. Conviction of sin from the Word of God by the Spirit of God is never a pleasant experience, but it is always a necessary experience. If we are ever to know the reality of God's mercy and forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're ever to know the realities of which Micah proclaimed in verses 18 and 19 of chapter 7. And therefore, dear Christian brother, man or woman, or boy or girl, Whenever the word of God is preached, or whenever it is read in your hearing, but especially whenever it is preached, don't deflect the arrows of conviction when you sense the word is putting its finger, as it were, upon an area of sin, iniquity in your heart and life. Don't deflect it. Don't push it off. Or if the arrow has come and found its mark and you realize, I am guilty, I am the man, I am the woman, don't then yank it out and say, I don't like this feeling. Well, it's not pleasant, but don't yank out the arrow of conviction and cast it off. Regard all conviction of sin and sense of God's righteous judgment as a mercy from God, for he purposes it to lead you to confession of sin, to repentance from your sin, and to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. Follow the example of Micah the prophet, who, like us, lived among a sinning nation. And what did he do? We've seen it earlier in this message. He looked unto Jehovah and waited for the God of his salvation, knowing that God indeed heard his prayers. Chapter 7 and verse 7. God's word is always relevant and timely for us as individuals and also for the world about us. But now... A second and concluding lesson. We've already considered the incomparable uniqueness of Jehovah's mercy in Micah 7.18. We've considered, secondly, the incomparable faithfulness of Jehovah's mercy, Micah 7 verse 19. But now, I would like us to consider the incomparable 
comprehensiveness of Jehovah's mercy. It is unique, it is faithful, but it is comprehensive, his mercy. In verses 18 and 19 of Micah 7, as you look at those verses in your Bibles, the Lord heaps up vivid words, descriptions, and pictures of what he does when he forgives sinners who turn to him for mercy, of course, through Jesus Christ. We're told Jehovah pardons iniquities. We've already considered that. Jehovah passes over transgressions. We've considered that. He does not retain his anger. He delights in steadfast love. He shows compassion again. He subdues our iniquities, treads them under his foot. He casts all our sins into the depths of the sea. Why does God give us all of this through Micah? The Lord wants us to understand that his mercy is comprehensive. He's not a stingy God. His mercy is thorough and complete. He's not some mean-fisted, mean-hearted God sitting in heaven. When he forgives sin of sinners... Through Jesus Christ, he forgives all sins. No sin, no iniquity, no transgression is excluded. For whenever the sinner confesses his sins to God through Christ and abandons them from his heart and life and pleads for mercy on the basis of Jesus Christ alone and his righteousness and blood, God freely, fully pardons forgives, cleanses, and accepts in the Lord Jesus Christ. Including the sins which you commit, dear Christian, in ignorance. Including the sins which you daily commit in your mind, with your eyes, with your tongue, with your hands and feet. They are all pardoned when you turn back to the Lord through Christ. The Christian sins when the Christian fails to do what God has commanded him to do. Those sins also are forgiven in the blood of Christ. The sins of your heart, sins such as envy, such a rotten sin, jealousy, such an evil sin, bitterness, lovelessness, hatred, sins that are not seen by other human beings, but which God sees and you know are still there. When you return to God through Christ, all of your sins and iniquities, all of your transgressions are pardoned are passed over because of Jesus Christ, of course. Sins of presumption, gross sins, the blackest of sins. You see, 
Many times Christians struggle in this very area. Am I forgiven? And you see, you understand how much sin still is in your heart and life. And then you say, am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? Am I truly trusting in Christ? Am I not? And you waver back and forth. Go to a passage like Micah 7 verses 8. And 19. Take these truths to yourself. That is a right thing to do. It is not presumption to do that. It is a right thing to do. It is an act of faith to say, no, these scripture truths are for me. God has given them in his word for me. Indeed, for anyone who would take them to himself. So you see, the Lord would have us understand that his mercy is comprehensive. He will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Another little English word, all. Doesn't say he will cast some of their sins into the depths of the sea. He will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Well, in closing, you may know this, the deepest part of the ocean in the world is called the Challenger Deep. It is located within the Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean, southwest of the island of Guam. The depth of the Challenger Deep is 6.83 miles from surface of the Pacific to the bottom, 6.83 miles, or 36,200 feet. Mount Everest is 29,029 feet high. And if Mount Everest was placed in the Challenger Deep, Mount Everest would be covered over by more than 7,000 feet of water. The Lord casts all your sins into the depth of the ocean. Now, you may not know this, but if you study biology, you've learned this somewhere along the line. Once you descend below 3,200 feet into any ocean, Atlantic, Pacific, it doesn't matter. Once you descend below 3,200 feet, there is no sunlight, only total darkness. Nothing can be seen. It is into such depths of darkness and forgetfulness that God has hurled all of your sins, dear believing, repenting Christian. He has hurled them down into the challenger deep of the Marianas Trench to never be seen again by you or even by omniscient God. They are buried there in the depths of darkness and forgetfulness in the challenger deep. And if you are a Christian this night, such truth should overwhelm your heart with gratitude to God for his unparalleled, 
comprehensive grace and mercy and love for you, this sinner, in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has paid the price for all your sins. You bear them no more. They are in the depths of the darkness and forgetfulness of the challenger deep, for God has hurled them into that depths. And you should rise from your contemplation of God's love for you in Christ and say, Lord, what would you have me to do to serve you as a man, a woman, a boy, a girl, a believing boy, a believing girl, to serve you where you have planted me right here and now? Lord, help me to honor you by living a life of service and a life of holy obedience to you in this world. And if you're not a Christian, you should call upon the Lord Jesus Christ right now where you're seated. You should call upon him. It doesn't matter again what your sins have been or what they are. Confess your sins to God through Jesus Christ. Ask him to forgive you for all of your sins. Cast yourself upon God, upon Christ. Ask him for this wonderful grace, this unique and faithful and comprehensive mercy from God in Christ. He will indeed hear and answer such prayers of anyone who comes to him through Jesus Christ. Do it tonight. Do it tonight. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the forgiveness of all of our sins in the Lord Jesus Christ's blood. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to this world, taking our sins upon you, receiving the wrath of God in yourself due to us for our sins, but you took it all. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for living and dying for us. And thank you that you are now seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, continuing your work, interceding for us, that our faith would not fail. Thank you for your love and faithfulness to us, your people. And come by your Spirit in this world, in this day, in this age, and save multitudes of sinners, young and old. We ask that you would even use this virus, this judgment to that very end, and draw multitudes to the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these mercies with our thanksgiving in his worthy name. Amen.